the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. A powerful lesson from the football game from this past weekend. And then, where are we hopeful for the church? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside my friend Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. Ian is sitting in for Aubrey, who is out for a couple days. Ian calling in from Nashville, Tennessee. We're doing a lot of reminiscing today, but also talking about things from life. Ian, I've just been hitting you up with funny stories that people may not know from our two years together hosting this show. Uh, Ian and I really blazed the ground. I always tell Aubrey, you don't know how easy you have it because of the things <laughs> Ian and I had to do to get to uh, get this show off the ground. She's not as as uh, thankful as I wish. Like you know, <laughs> okay. We'll always have we'll always have our memories. But I would like to share this story with our audience because of who who is involved with this with Ian. Before he was huge, Ian and I used to have on a monthly basis, or was it weekly? Dallas Jenkins. Yeah. Was it monthly? I think it was monthly. We at that time we were saying, "Hey, in another like you're you're about to launch something called the Chosen." Little did we know it would take over the world. Yeah. And there's a there's a story that I love to share that Ian came in one day with really bad neck pain to the point <laughs> that he couldn't sit in a chair. <laughs> we right. did we did our time with Dallas and then we had to pause well, Dallas Jenkins of the Chosen fame gave Ian a, a chiropractic adjustment right there in the studio. Yep. I wish I took a picture of that. <laughs> I, was my mom also there? No, that was just you, me, and Dallas in the studio. <laughs> That's so funny because he came another because we called it Media Mondays. There was another yes, show. Yes, we did. My mom was also in town, and the Chosen had like started to gain some, and it was the first time I'd like seen my mom starstruck. Is that like, right? That's the doubt. Can I stay in the room? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that's the guy that adjusts my neck like that. <laughs> He's the guy, who, you know, twisted it. But I'll never forget sitting there. I was like, well, it was a surreal moment. I'm like, Dallas Jenkins is like fixing Ian's neck on the ground over there while we're just, I don't know what's going on right now. Never been better. Never been better. <laughs> well, that's because as he thought about who should I help, you were the chosen one. You were the <laughs> chosen. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> Boom. Uh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Did you watch any of the football games on Sunday the other day? May, I didn't watch hardly any of it. I watched like recaps, but I didn't okay. get to watch anything live. Uh, your Lions were good this year. Are you still a Lions fan, though, now that you're forever, in Tennessee? No, okay. For, forever a Lions fan. I feel you, – you remember, I'm still a Giants fan, even though yep. I'm in Chicago. I actually think living in, quote-unquote, enemy territory makes you a bigger fan of your home team. So I, I think you're right. Uh, your Lions are good. They're coming. They're coming, man. I totally agree. Uh, I, this might be the last year they're not in the playoffs for a while, I think. I think. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yes. We say that. We've been saying that since I was six, True. though. So, I, you know. True, true. Uh, so, in the game, the first game was a blowout this weekend, the Philly-San uh, uh, Francisco game, for various reasons, injuries to quarterbacks and such. The good game was Kansas City beating Cincinnati on a last-second field goal. Yep. 
But the way that game played out, the refs had some issues, some other, but really they were able to kick that field goal because a, a linebacker, uh, his name was like Osai, yep. uh, he had a great game. But as Patrick Mahomes is running, he was out of bounds. This guy pushes him, 15-yard penalty, took them from out of field goal range to into field goal range, uh, and they were able to kick a game-winning field goal. Joseph Asai, the middle linebacker, was visibly weeping on the sideline visibly weeping and we're going to make a little pastoral turn here because he was interviewed afterwards more power to him the guy stood in front of his locker and answered questions while clearly still emotional and crying because he he was one of the reasons they that they were in the game but that was the number one play that cost them the game and he knew it he was like i can't believe i did that this and that uh afterwards Here's what I want to talk about. His teammates rallied around him in such a way that was really powerful. And in fact, defensive lineman B.J. Hill saw what was going on with the interview, came and stood next to him and basically ran cover like he's not going to answer that question. What do we do? Okay. And he like was there to be him shoulder to shoulder in his worst moment. And Joseph Asai said this, uh, that his teammates being around him has, quote, given me peace right now. He's just had the worst moment of his professional life in front of tens of millions of people. And he said, because of the support of my brothers here on the team, it's giving me a little bit of peace as he's crying. He's still devastated. Yeah, right. And Ian, us pastors do this. I couldn't help but think of the church in that moment. I couldn't think help but think of what we read in the Bible about uh, being there for one another, like make take what I just did for you and put it into a sermon illustration. Preach that for people. Oh man, that's good. it's almost a sermon in and of itself too, because yeah. it's like there's a lot of depth to the fact that he was still like physically weeping as he was saying those words. I do think sometimes, unfortunately, the trope is oh, community makes all your problems go away. Hmm. Any of us that have like done true messy community we know that's not the case and i think we we sometimes set people up for disaster like ah get in a small group it solves everything (laughs) yeah (laughs) it actually in some ways might complicate some things so the fact that he just the image of him still living in a sense of grief and recognizing this community that's rallying around him it's like, yeah, yeah, both are true i'm i'm really sad about how this played out and i have a sense of peace because of the people that I know are in my corner. You know, we've talked about this before. You think about the, there are 59 one another's in the New Testament. Hmm. And it's really hard to imagine that we were meant to live those out in isolation. Like, I think of the Eugene Peterson. He's like, I am not myself by myself. Like, there's just no, that's there. It's, and I say this again as someone, I think uh, having the neat freak part of me also could contribute to like the isolating part of me. Hmm. It's neater and cleaner if I don't let anyone in you know and that's true and c.s lewis writes about that when he talks about like yeah you can do that you can lock up your heart in a in a chest and bury it in the ground but it becomes un- unbreakable mm. and he says to love it all is to be vulnerable and i think it's it is like strangely evergreen to see someone model any level of like true vulnerability you know in front of millions of people that feels yeah. so counterintuitive and it's like uh 
I don't know. It's kind of a beautiful glimpse. I think of the, have you seen that YouTube video of that little kid, like a little kid karate class, and one kid was like trying to break a board. Oh my gosh! Dude, yes, like, all of his classmates like come to rally, and when he finally breaks through, everyone they go screaming. nuts. Oh, yeah, I get so weepy because like what? That's it. That's what the. I feel like a failure. I feel like I'm never going to make it. And then the people around you remind you that you're not alone. Yeah, I don't know that I, that will never get old for me. I cried those things now, by the way. Like, I'm getting old. I, I cried those things. Uh, it's so true. When I heard that interview, because I watched the game, I watched the post game, but the interview with him came out this morning. Mm. And to see his teammates literally physically stand next to him, it wasn't just this metaphorical, we're here with you. No, his buddy came and stood next to him. Mm. And kind of took some cover for him, but also just being physically there for you. I'm, I'm, I'm next to you. We're still, this doesn't change us. Multiple players came out and were like, we didn't lose because of one play. We didn't lose because of one play. They were doing that for his sake, not for yes. the, the audience that was right. listening. I think it's such a beautiful imagery. I, I love that. You said 59 one another. It's just like, we're never meant to do this alone. See, football brings us closer to Jesus. It's what it does. It just <laughs> watch the Super Bowl. Bring closer to Jesus. <laughs> All right. Coming up next, Ian is he has gone from being in a, a Chicagoan to being in the South, to being in Tennessee. So I'm going to ask Ian a bunch of different stereotypes of Tennessee, things that I think about Tennessee. So not terrible stereotypes, but things that I think about Tennessee. And I want to know if they're true, if they're his experience. We're going to talk Tennessee next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Ian, if you haven't been with us, Ian, uh, my former co-host, is sitting in for Aubrey as she is out of town today. And uh, it's just been really fun. Just been really fun. So, Ian, I want to get into Tennessee. I want to talk to you about Tennessee. But let's ask a question first that I didn't prep you for. Obviously, the answer is people. Like, that's obviously the answer. But what, on a more superficial level, (laughs) what do you miss about Chicago? Oh, man. Okay, so I can't answer people. We understand that that's number one. Like, that's hopefully going to be number one. But so on a more superficial level. Um, Are you saying Chicago proper, Chicago land? Land. Chicago land. Because this one, this might not be superficial enough for your liking, but the house that we (laughs) left. The house we left had this incredible treehouse in the backyard. I remember. Oh, and I would do shows from the treehouse. In COVID, when we were doing virtual shows, you'd do them literally from this treehouse of yours. That seems like such a silly thing, but I, now that my boys are actually finally getting old enough to want one, I'm like, gosh darn it, that was such a cool... That was a, that was a cool little part of that house. Yeah. There's other, yeah, there's some food stuff for sure. You, you don't really realize what a food epicenter Chicago is, even yeah. Chicago land until you go somewhere else. And you're like, Oh, the nearest, I don't know. The nearest Thai food is a half hour. You, you like, that's a, that's a unique, most Chicagoans are like, Oh yeah, there's three Thai restaurants within, you know, 11 minutes. That's, that's right. That's, that's right. Is that the kind of superficial you were looking for? It <laughs> is. I like the treehouse one. Cause they brought back the memories of you doing the show from the tree. There'd be a guy mowing his lawn across the way. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. ah, not sure that's going to play well. <laughs> I would do like serious meetings from the treehouse, and they just change the zoom background. It's awesome. And, uh, I got, yeah, I got caught a couple times. 
there are little. Th- I would not want to do COVID again, but there are little things that were fun, like like working from a treehouse. You know, yeah, like little things. Yeah, they're, they're, I'm going to remember some of those more fond memories. Yep, yep. All right, but you're now a resident of Nashville or just outside Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, so I want to know about Tennessee. What has been the biggest adjustment going from Chicago to Tennessee for you, culturally? Well. I mean, I, I learned that uh, bless your heart is not actually a blessing. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It took me a while to <laughs> learn that one. I was like, everyone's saying a lot of nice things to me. And they're like, oh, honey, that's not. That's not <laughs> um, yeah, it's even this isn't even necessarily Tennessee, but like in a in a preaching speaking role, you're. You're like learning the cultural landmines as you step on them. You know what I mean? Like, oh, that's so funny. I'm learning yes. them; they're learning me. And then, you know, sometimes based on your inbox on Monday morning, you're like, oh, oh, that might be okay. We're maybe we're not there yet. So you know, there's some of that that has been just, you know, cultural hermeneutics 101. You're just yeah, community. Um, so that's 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 definitely been. I actually really like that part though. Like, I enjoy the journey of like being having to like learn people and and to do the work of you know sharing coffees and meals and all that the uh the the adjust the i mean the the summers are really really hot Mm. um the the winters are that was maybe the biggest shock you know after 40 years in the midwest the muscle memory of expecting like a wave of terrible cold hitting your face and then, like, bracing for it. And then you're like, <laughs> oh. oh, it's 52. That's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, like, people. Yeah. People may not. Like, yeah, they, terrible. And then you're like, oh. That's so true. That's so true. People may not remember Ian has not always been a Chicagoan, but before that you were in Detroit. Right. So uh, definitely cold. Uh, all right. So I have this impression that... Tennessee, I I once heard somebody say Tennessee is the buckle of the Bible belt. Hmm. And that, so I have this, I live with this impression that you move down to a place that is highly Christian, Hmm. highly Christianized, like uh, different than where we are. Has that been your experience? What's, how has that been different leading a church? Yeah. One of the phrases that the leadership at the bridge have said for a long time is that this area is Overchurched, undergospeled. That's oh wow. How they Unpack like that. Sort of, yeah, yeah, I think um, yeah. There's there there are at least from my experience, like in Chicago, it would be much more common to hear someone say, "Do you go to church?" and much more common down here for someone to say, "Where do you go to church?" Um, that's almost like a uh, even if they only go once a year, that's a mm-hmm. much more kind of common question. Um, but I, I think the other thing that's been really interesting, I almost would even shift that statement from overchurched under gospel to like overchurched under discipled. Mm. Um, one of the one of the things I've been kind of hammering at our church is that discipleship is not a Christian thing; it's a human thing. Like we're all being discipled by someone or something, and many of us have kind of believed the the trope that like, as long as I, you know, go to church three out of four weeks a month, like I'm, that's all Jesus really has for me. Mm. Uh, It's a, it's a, you're right. It is a different kind of challenge. It's less about, Oh, how do we like get people into church? It's like, how do we 
how do we get to get people to think deeply about formation and then like live on mission in their communities at at tables like that that i think has been um and they've been really receptive which has been really cool but yeah there's, there's certainly been like a it's it's taken a couple of years to really learn that that part of the culture and that's hard i mean that's really hard work sure. as anyone will tell you all right tennessee we know is uh, big country music. So my Nashville specifically, my kids and my wife went to Nashville a couple years ago on spring break. And then I met them in a different part of Tennessee because someone gave us a condo to stay in. And my kids still talk about it, like walking down with all the music uh, in Nashville. I know you're a music guy. So A, what is Nashville like for you? And B, are you a country music guy? I don't remember you being a country music guy before. So are you now a country music guy? Yeah, let me just answer that one first. I'm not. You're not? Yeah. Hold strong. I, I I held off. I finally made my first country music joke from the pulpit a couple months ago, and it did not go well. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was brutal. But people will tell you, though, too, it's 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 music industry land, not just country land. That, yes. that has historically been part of it. But we have – it is just bizarre – how much talent is here, but that also creates other issues. You know, we have people on staff whose spouses are in touring bands. And as you can imagine, that creates a different kind of family dynamic. If your spouse is gone for four or five weeks at a time, wow. that can make it tough as a church too. You're like, you know, you, in a lot of ways you depend on the regularity of, of volunteers. Someone's like, Hey, I can play guitar uh, six times a year at these various times because I'm touring with my band or whatever. Um, but the level of excellence is just incredible. Like we have a, um, we call this kind of like the, the, the missions arm of our worship ministry. It's called bridge worship. And, uh, it's been so cool to see not only like the songs that are coming out of that, but the amount of collaboration, like mm. the, the, the artist community here is so rich. I've never seen anything like it. And people are so willing to like, I'll help you write on this. Can you come sing lead on this? And there's this be like real beautiful kind of like, we just want to make art for the kingdom. And that to me, that's the part of like my musician artist heart that is like so like glad to see that kind of stuff happen um, because they're just it's it's just a, a really rich music community. Yeah. Do they let you hop on the drums? I made the mistake of telling people that I played drums at all. <laughs> I played Detroit drums. I do not play. I don't play Nashville drums. Like they keep egging me on, and I don't. I don't think I. I don't think I will. <laughs> yeah, that's a, probably a wise choice. Thank you. All right, coming up next, we couldn't get through a day with Ian without me playing one of my favorite games with him that I know he doesn't enjoy, but he gets to do it anyway today. We're going to make Ian explain his Instagram posts next oh. here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Man, I haven't had a chance to say it yet, by the way. Super honored that you would ask, man. This has been a blast. I, honestly, it's been two years, so I've almost forgotten how much fun this actually was. It really is fun. Like, yeah, hey, yeah. They, we get to speak about things and laugh and do this and that. Uh, and so it has been two years, but 
Never Too Far From Me is one of my favorite things, that, segments or games that we would do on this show. And that is that I just, Ian is a prolific poster. No. Instagram. You're primarily Instagram now. Is that correct? I don't want to answer any of these questions. Oh, you're going to. <laughs> Your name's not on the show anymore. So <laughs> you've lost creative license. Uh, but no, I've, I, you always get embarrassed when I say this. You write very insightful stuff. Uh, you write very, you write good stuff. And in fact, I was just telling you off air, I have random friends that I see regularly reposting your stuff. And uh, I believe Scott, my assistant pastor at my church, used something you wrote in a sermon the other day. And so, yes, no <laughs> it, it serves a purpose. It serves a purpose. Uh, so something I used to do with Ian that made him really uncomfortable, so we're going to do it again, is I just find things that he has written, and I go, okay, explain this. Why did you write this? Because, in all seriousness, we all know that you don't just write stuff because in a vacuum. It's written yeah. for a reason, and you're trying to reach somebody or, or speak to something. And so this is actually a chance to be very pastoral and do that. So, all right, you ready to play out? I'm on Ian Simpkins' Instagram account right now. I hate this game. This is the best. This is the best. All right. Just a couple hours ago, you wrote this. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, have to condense it because there's a lot of them here. You wrote, uh, all these different things are not a fruit of the Spirit. You wrote, Inf- indifference is not a fruit of the Spirit. Selfishness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Uh, antagonism is not a fruit of the Spirit. Smugness is not a fruit of the Spirit. Shame Uh, Hot takes are not a fruit of the spirit. Rashness is not a fruit of the spirit. Hostility is not a fruit of the spirit. Pessimism is not a fruit of the spirit. And boasting is not a fruit of the spirit. I, my friend, found that very powerful because uh, I think so often in my mind, we should be able to whittle things down to that's not a fruit of the spirit. That is a fruit of the spirit. And we mess this up. So give me the heart behind that and, and why you posted that. Well, gosh, it feels so much heavier when you hear it read. Out. <laughs> I swear I'm not this angry guy. Uh, most of the time. <laughs> Honestly, some of the, yeah, those posts are so strange because sometimes it's me like working on a sermon. Oh, okay. And I'm like, and I'm like workshopping ideas trying to see like does this make sense does this resonate sometimes it's after a sermon and it's like i'm surprised that something seemed to resonate and i'll kind of and then sometimes honestly and that's sort of what this one was is it's just a thing i'm feeling i I Mm. had been feeling this growing sense of like i'm really tired of smugness in the name Mm. of jesus Mm. and i'm that's not directed at any one particular person honestly i'm probably even pointing it at me first and foremost i just even when, you know where it really uh, the rubber meets the road for me is when it's someone whose conclusion I agree with, mm. but the methodology is <laughs> yes. so off-putting, and I'm like, I'm on your team, and I don't want to share this because you're you're <laughs> I don't know, it just the this idea of like I had a mentor that used to say something like, we're not just called to share the gospel. We're called to share the gospel with the aroma of Jesus. Mm. If you're sharing the gospel in methodology doesn't also look like Jesus, then something needs to be adjusted. So it feels like we're in this era now where everyone's dunking on everyone else, but like in the name of Jesus. And I'm not saying we shouldn't go toe to toe. I love going toe to toe. I probably right. have a, a problem. Like, I'm not saying <laughs> not to do that. But you know what I mean, though? And sometimes yeah. you're like, wow, this just drips of 
arrogance or like the humble bragging that a lot of pastors and influencers get caught up in, or the, that's kind of why I put the indifference one first. I feel like sometimes uh, we get it twisted. They were like, I, I'm just not going to care about any of this. That's the way of Jesus. I'm like, that's mm. not the Jesus I see in scriptures. I'm not saying we can or should die in every single hill, but like part of being a follower of Jesus is forfeiting the luxury of neutrality in the face of injustice. We don't get to say, ah, that doesn't really, doesn't affect me. Like Mm. you're a kingdom person now that some, that something like should be shifting in our heart. So like, again, I hope it didn't read like, Oh, he's really going after. It did not. So-and-so it it was just like stuff over the last few months that I was, I was kind of processing. There you go. There you go. See, that's good stuff. All right. Here's another one. Uh, A peacekeeper is not the same as a peacemaker. One manages the status quo. The other actively seeks healing. True peace will never come from pretending something is okay when it's not. Mic drop. That's a good one. Why? Talk to us about that. Because what you say there is true and a really important uh, difference, especially in this day and age right now. I I think um, probably to a fault. The words we use and how we use them matter a lot. I think words create paradigms, create cultures. Like I think so when we when we co-op peacemaker and define it as peacekeeper, I think we do a real disservice to what Jesus is talking about. And I also am saying this as someone who like loves and is loved by a number of peacekeepers. Mm-hmm. I think it, I think it comes from a good place. Like I don't want to rock the. I want everyone to get along. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing. I do sometimes wonder though. If, what is it, Jeremiah, he says something like, you've you've healed the wounds of my people lightly by declaring peace, peace, when there is no peace. Mm-hmm. Like, that's sort of the modern version of like, everything's fine. Everything's okay. Like, I just want everyone to get along. <clears throat> it's like the, you know, the family gathering where there's this undealt with issue and everyone, like, can we just have a nice dinner? I'm not opposed to like sitting down and having a nice dinner, but sometimes we maybe need to do the hard work of like, why is everyone at everyone else's throat? That's you right. Know? And the work of peacemaking is just, it's its way harder than peacekeeping. You know? That's right. That's right. All right. This one, I'm going to give you a minute for this one. Uh, the word blessed shows up 112 times in the New Testament. Not once is it connected to material wealth. Sometimes the blessed life looks different than we think. Boom. Man, these are good. Um, <laughs> thanks, man. I mean, all, all you have to do is read the Beatitudes. That mm-hmm. That is not – if I were to write that list, it would look way different. I, mm-hmm. I taught on this on Sunday, actually. Part of what my point was, I, I don't think that God is opposed to um, wealth or possessions. I just sometimes think we co-opt what blessing actually means from a biblical perspective. And uh, at the very least, when we get the, the picture of what the blessed life looks like wrong um there are a lot of other things that can lead to there you go all right last one this one's coming from your facebook page Uh-oh. so uh all the rest were your Instagram. if people want your like your wisdom they should go to your instagram page i would tell people to follow you there <laughs> but uh back on january the 12th so we're talking uh a good 18 19 days ago 18 days ago you said this Today marks 40 days until I turn 40. <laughs> that means that you are now well under 30, nearing 20 days till you turn 40. How are you feeling about that? 
tired. <laughs> Everything hurts. I don't. Literally, I've been waking up with like random back pain, and Katie's like, "That's forty. Yep, that's forty for you." Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. That does start to tell me that we, we, you were such little kids. Like my oldest. When I turned 40, was 14 years old. Like, oh uh, that was just a difference. But yep. welcome to your – Aubrey and I are both in our mid-40s, even though she got mad at me for saying that the other day because I'm 45 and she's 44. And she tried to claim that mid-40s is until 45. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Let her, let her have it, Brian. No. It costs you nothing. <laughs> it costs me something. <laughs> That's fair. All right, a wonderful game. And I would honestly tell people, especially if you're on Instagram, go follow Ian at, at Ian Simpkins. No P in there. People like to put a P in your name, right? At Ian Simpkins. Coming up next, I am going to, as we close the show, ask Ian a question that he and I, and also Aubrey and I, tend to ask most of our guests. I'm going to do that as we try to end with some encouragement. Next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. You have an open invitation since you named the show. You have an open invitation to come back anytime. This has been fun, man. Dude, really, really grateful for the uh, for the invitation. You should give me the link to whatever you're recording, and I'll just drop in unannounced on, <laughs> on various shows. Yes. Like drop a catchphrase and then leave. Just in and out. Here he comes. <laughs> uh, oh, I heard you do it. Grinds my gears. Let me back in. Let me in. I'm here. <laughs> That's my favorite segment. <laughs> we still use John Benedict's music, by the way. Do you uh, really? Yes. Yes. Oh, wait, it. Wasn't it originally a rap song? You know what really grinds my gears. <laughs> yeah. I think that's an actual rap song. I don't think that was his music. Oh, no. I agree. I, I, I agree with that. So. Oh, he found the song. I got you. He made music for something else, though, didn't he? Yeah. yeah. You know, he's now the organist at the Cubs game still. Like, he's all oh, over yeah. the place. He's like a minor celebrity in Chicago right now. He's living the dream, man. I'm so proud of that guy. Our former producer, John Benick. All right. Since the beginning of the show, uh, when you and I were doing the show, and it has continued since Aubrey and I do the show together, a lot of times, especially when we have church people, pastors, authors who are writing about the church, people speaking about the church, whenever we have church people on, and you might remember this because you and I used to do this all the time, we often would end our interviews with the exact same question. Are you hopeful for the future of the church? Yeah. And that is the question that oftentimes, and you and I never prepped the people, so we wouldn't know. And there were people who came on and said, not really. Yeah. Right. Or I'm hopeful that there's still a church, but not in its current. But like we got some answer. It was never a hundred percent where people were like, yes, absolutely. Generally speaking, people say, yes, I am. But it, it, it is interesting to see where people come from. So I'm going to pose that to you now. You are a pastor. Uh, you're you're invested in the church. You love the church. But the church has a lot of warts right now. It has a lot of struggles right now um, and has for a while now. So let me close our show by uh, discussing that with you. Ian Simpkins, are you hopeful for the church? Yeah, man, I think uh, uh, it was a different conversation altogether, but someone once asked Cornell West, uh, uh, a similar question. They asked him if he was optimistic, and he said, mm. I'm not optimistic, but I'm hopeful. Mm. I love that response because you're right. There are some very real pain points. There's, in some cases, and I hope this isn't too dramatic, feels like there's a reckoning. You know, mm. we're having to 
confront uh, in some really new and profound, in a lot of ways, public ways, um, uh, power differentials, uh, cover up. But even besides that, because I, I do want to say this, for every one celebrity pastor that implodes, I'm convinced mm-hmm. there's hundreds of faithful men and women who are like shepherding and caring for and preaching the full gospel and like loving their community. So like, mm-hmm. I don't want to in any way say, ah, it's all crumbling because, you know, these five people made headlines. Like, I think the kingdom of God, when we get to heaven, the the people in the mansions will be the ones with no social media, whose names we've never heard of, who have just like mm. faithfully cared. I am so convinced of that. That's part of what gives me hope, to be honest, mm. is I keep breaking bread with and I keep getting coffee with the people who are like, I, I just want to shepherd, I, you know, the long obedience in the same direction. Like, that's what I'm about. I want to faithfully disciple, reach the lost, live on mission, live out my days, love my family, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. stories like that from people like no interest in a book. I have no interest in a conference. Uh, I think, man, if we, if we could get our metrics right, and I'm not opposed to, uh, you know, numbers or any of that, mm-hmm. I just think. The church, in a lot of ways, I think, has unfortunately measured the wrong things, or at least in the wrong order. And I think part of what I'm so hopeful by is, like, there seems to be this growing sense of, hey, to love something doesn't mean you never criticize it. Mm. Like, that's what I've learned in my family. Honestly, and maybe this is a northern thing. You know, you'll probably get this from Jersey. The people that love me the most are the ones that are willing to call me in my crap. That's great. Yeah. The people that will never tell me there's spinach in my teeth. It's not not that they don't love me, but like my brother, like the people that stood at my wedding, they're the ones that will pull me aside. Like you're being an idiot. (laughs) And I feel like in some, I don't mean to sound irreverent, but I feel like we're seeing some of that with the church where people are saying, Hey, I love the church. I love the bride of Christ. I love Jesus. These parts are broken. And I pray that we don't silence those, you know? I feel like that's part of what that's part of what we're seeing and I think it's been hard to reconcile for some yeah. people. Like how do you how do you faithfully get to work in the areas that um you've never really pulled back the canvas, you know? Yeah. That's but there's just so much good being done right now. And honestly, when I think of like where the church is growing the fastest, it's in like Iraq mm. and Iran. I think I think the American Western church has a whole lot to learn from our brothers and sisters in the Middle East and in Africa. I feel like the Lord is doing something that is um, is is maybe bigger than a lot of us even have the confidence to like dream or pray for, and that yeah. is super humbling. Like the the presence of God, the Spirit of God is going to do things that will surprise us, and it's a miracle that He would allow us to be a part of that at all. So, yeah. that's my prayer, man. That's awesome. If you could say. So what would make you even more hopeful? Like if, if the church, and it's hard to talk about the big church, like just put it all under one umbrella, but sure. you know, for, la- for our conversation, we need to do that. If we could get one thing right or better in the next decade, hmm. generation, like that would make you even more hopeful for the church. What would that, does anything come to mind? Yeah, man, this might sound underwhelming, this is the first thing that comes to mind. I, I think in the next 10 years, what I would love to see is for us to get the table right. I think mm-hmm. um, 
the table was like Jesus's main vehicle by which life change happened was like around tables in neighborhoods face to face with people. Like, I'm not saying we stopped doing all the other things, but man, if, if uh, even a fraction of the big C church, like was given a fire for their actual neighborhoods, like actual meals and coffee. And like, I think that we're, I think the world is growing so weary of like these online arguments where no one's actually listening to each other. And we feel like we're, it's just one hot take after another. Yeah. And there's just something so sacred about the, the slow discipleship of Jesus, which tends to look by the way, very, very different from a lot of like the church growth models we're given. Like it's going to be presence, like real embodied presence at tables in neighborhoods, at communities. It's, it's our churches and our people seeing themselves as missionaries. Yes. Like we're all, we're all missionaries and you're where you're at on purpose for a purpose. And to see yourself as like, you're, you're a part of this to live on mission, wherever God has you. I think that would be, that would be a, a game changing shift. That's right. Future of the church. That's right. Oh man, this is so fun. I need to go to Tennessee simply to lay on that couch. That's right behind you there. Do it. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. <laughs> it, it is not nice to, to sleep on. Let me tell you. Oh man, this won't be the last time we do this, but thanks for doing it, buddy. I really appreciate it. Dude, likewise, man. Thanks for having me. Yep. Glad to have you with us all today. Hope that you have a great night. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good. AIM 1160, hope for your life. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.